Good evening, everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, December 6th, and I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar, Evening of Solutions for New Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do this without your help, and we do ask that you do jump over to our website. It is albertaprosperityproject.com, where you can buy a membership for one year for $20, two years for $30, three years for $40, or you can make a donation there as well. We're also asking people to please register for the petition to force a referendum on Alberta's independence. And you can go uh, on the Alberta Prosperity Project website, or you can go to bit.ly slash abvoteyes. Tonight's episode, go back to that again. Doo -doo -doo. Tonight's episode is called When People Speak, Change Happens. And that's exactly what happened at the United Conservative Party's annual general meeting on November 3rd and 4th when our guest Rob Smith was elected president of the UCP Provincial Board of Directors. Uh, if you don't know, that AGM had over 3,800 delegates and was the largest attended political meeting in Alberta's history, and I believe in Canada's history too. Rob is also a founding member of the Olds Disbury Three Hills UCP Constituency Association Board of Directors, serving on its executive since inception, representing a CA Rob was one of the dissident CA presidents who started in 2021, pushed for the earlier UCP leadership review to better represent Albertans, and we all know how that turned out. And of course, we're going to be inviting Rob on, and we also have APP's interim CEO, Christopher Scott, who will be joining us as well. This is a live webinar, so we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout the presentation. Just put three question marks before your question, so it'll be flagged, and we can quickly view the questions. And with that, I will now bring on Rob and Chris. Good evening, gentlemen. Good day. Good to see you, Chris and Carrie. Excellent. Well. Thanks so, for joining us. Yeah, you've had uh, you've had a very busy. I'm going to say almost two months because there was the month leading up to the provincial, well, to the AGM. And uh, and then obviously with what has happened now, right? Um, in the last month. I mean, and there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in terms of the UCP and I'm not, and we're gonna find out exactly what the board does in terms of that stuff, because honestly, there, we really don't know. <laughs> and I think that's the important thing. So we, um, we as in the Royal We, Chris and uh, Marco Van Hugenboss actually did a series called uh, Getting uh, Candid with the Candidates. And it's actually on the Chris and Carrie show.com. You can also look for it on Rumble under um, Alberta uh, Prosperity Project. Just do a search for that and Rob Smith and you will find it. Great interview because it, uh, it, it basically showed, first of all, how busy you were prior to the, uh, the AGM. Um, I believe you were actually in your in your vehicle after a meeting and you're on your phone uh, and taking it, which which just goes to show how busy people really are, especially in the fall. And uh, and then, of course, it, it, it shed some light on what your history was and why you got into it. I would like to do a, a shortened version of that, if you can, and tell us, um, you know, what's your political history? Why did you get involved? And uh, and that, I think that's a good way to start. Sure. Okay. Thanks, Carrie. 
Excellent. So yeah, that that night I was actually uh, outside the community hall that had just housed the uh, uh, constituency association meeting for Calgary Mountain View, okay. and uh, and so I, I remember very fondly that uh, that night and the work that Chris and Marco did I think on behalf of the United Conservative Party membership was just extraordinary. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it, to me, it complements the work that you guys do to assist the conservative movement in the province. So thank you guys for that right well, off the bat. You're quite welcome. Uh, you know, from a political perspective, and Carrie, I can't really explain where the idea came from, but from the time I was very, very young, I was motivated by the political process. Um, mm -hmm. The first thing that I really, really remember was, and when I was a little kid, we had Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, you know, not dissimilar to today. I think maybe yeah. you two, perhaps in your youth, remember a, a similar circumstance. Yes, when absolutely when Ottawa was not considered the friend of Alberta in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And it's interesting how when we want to talk about progress and the passage of time, that it feels like 50 years on, we're in exactly the position that we were uh, in those early 19, early to mid-1970s. In fact, right. maybe yeah. even worse yeah. now than we were back then. Um, but uh, but the, the thing that I truly remember was um, when Robert Stanfield resigned as leader of the federal uh, conservative party and then there was a, a leadership review and i remember watching that leadership campaign where flora mcdonald ran and joe clark ultimately oh yeah that. that's right yeah yeah brian mulrooney ran as well yeah. and uh, and i thought flora mcdonald was the best choice because she seemed to me to be the most like my grandmother and uh, so from that point on, I was equating kindness with politics, uh, perhaps yes. the, uh, the uh, uh, misguided uh, priorities of like a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. But uh, fr from that point on, I was, I was just motivated. And, and so back then you could become a, 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 a youth conservative, both provincially and federally at the age of 14. So in 1982, when I turned 14, I joined both those parties and, and started to attend as many uh, conventions, AGMs, leadership reviews as, as possible. Yeah. And uh, and have sat on on both uh, CAs as well as the the federal counterparts uh, off and on ever since. But now have been steadily involved uh, with the the our provincial boards, both mm -hmm. the PC and then now the UCP since yeah. 2002 when I moved home from from living overseas. Okay. So uh, so I I feel like a bit of a lifer when it comes to politics and also uh, a. Uh, a, a conservative as well. The only time I flirted with the Liberal Party was uh, when I went to the University of Calgary. And in my first year, uh, there were those both pre and post Canadian history uh, classes, Canadian Confederation classes. And there was a really cute girl who was a liberal who I, I was motivated to perhaps get a little closer to. But I never did end up buying a membership. I only contemplated it. So lifelong yeah. That's That's awesome. And, you know, uh, we really, Chris and I, have really only gotten to politics since the whole COVID ordeal happened, right? So, um, and and I grew up in Manitoba, and I've been quite vocal about that. And Manitoba swings whatever direction goes. It was liberal, it was PC, it was NDP, back to PC. I think it was liberal for a little bit, and then PC, and then, of course, now NDP. They're all over the map versus here in, in Alberta. Really, it has just been conservative until those four years that we don't like to talk about. Mm -hmm. Which it really was still conservative. It was just that we were split and ended up with, yeah. you know, that orange crush that none of us ever want to relive. 
That's yeah, that's true too. Yeah, that was something. Yeah, yeah, it was. But you know, you know what that did though? That actually, as painful as it was, that was a real wake-up call for a lot of people in this province. Yeah. Not only like regular Albertans who kind of just live their day-to-day -day lives and don't pay attention to politics, but also people who want to be within the political realm. You know, our politicians for far too long before that. Uh, you know, they, they just really didn't represent the people the way they should have. And, you know, th that's what happens. The, the province was so mad at the PCs that they basically threw away uh, four years of their, uh, you know, four years of their future yeah. on, a, on a Notley vote. So that's a it was a double wake up call for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, Chris, uh, and, and I would count myself among those who experienced the wake up in 2015 too because uh like i quite frankly uh a little bit resented actually not a little bit like not a little bit resented the wild rose party because i i uh, we had gone through that split federally and of course it decimated conservatism in canada and gave us three uh, majority governments in a row plus then a minority of of liberal uh federally i mean thank heavens jean chrétien was uh was not near as as terrible a prime minister as either the trudeau before him or the trudeau that would ultimately come after him yeah. but uh but like i i couldn't understand why the people of wild rose felt that they were so homeless in the provincial conservative party but being perhaps more naive uh than i should have been i didn't realize just how difficult things were within my beloved conservative party that was the pcs and mm -hmm. in that 2015 election um i was a campaign manager for a, a, a good candidate in uh, our riding at of Olsdensbury Three Hills, which has always been a very, very strong conservative uh, hold, you know, actually with social credit for longer before it went to PC, and then we elected a Western separatist, and then we were among the very first to elect Wild Rose, and and uh, uh, the problems that we had with that PC campaign, with uh, a centralized and Eastern mentality made me realize partway through that election, finally, what all the people were angry about that had actually got the guts to get up and, and make the Wild Rose Party. And so that's that's when I finally got the point. And, and I think you're absolutely right, Chris, that, uh, that a lot of us, uh, perhaps including the elites of the party, needed that wake-up call because we weren't listening to the Wild Rose. It took getting an orange crush or having an orange crush yeah. to be able to make us realize just how elitist the PC party had become. Yeah. So now as the, as the newly elected president of the United Conservative Party Provincial Board, uh, how does one go about making sure that all of the members like right now there's there's a uh, there's there's a, a strong wild rose membership within the united conservative party as well as pc what what do you do as a as a board uh to make sure that everyone everyone has their voices heard and we don't run into that situation again because we 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 do see that even now even after a fresh election a fresh agm there's discontent because people you know they feel like they're they're just not being heard. So what, what do we do to, to fix that? Well, I, I think that, uh, and, and this is one of the things I said as I traveled across the province to try to earn enough people's favor and trust to, to get this title, this position. Um, we, we actually had a great template for it right here in Olds Didsbury Three Hills because um, 
I was president of the Progressive Conservative Party, and a gentleman by the name of Michael Robertson was president of the Wild Rose Party. We were a Wild Rose constituency. And when that talk of merger happened, we immediately, our two boards got together. And uh, so we actually were ahead um, a little bit of the of the provincial merger. We had held our, our founding AGM with Old Sidsbury Three Hills before the province did. We had actually come together with our interim boards before there was terms in place because we just thought it was so very important. And the interesting thing about that is that even though, you know, half of those people that came together on the interim board were very proud uh, Wild Rosers and the other half were proud PCers, we never had a single battle about that because we recognized recognized that while there might be three, two or three, maybe even four out of 10 areas where we didn't agree, that there were like six or seven or even eight that we did agree on. And we realized that as conservatives, we have this tendency to become completely disparate and incapable of cooperation and collaboration based on those two or three or four things. That's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Let's focus on the, the tr typically fundamental things that hold us together. And so from that point on, the idea of, of Wild Rose directors and PC directors completely disappeared. We had maybe a couple individuals that wanted to hold on to kind of uh, some old PC mentalities, but everybody else on that board of, of 30 plus our MLA were 100% united and, and cooperative from the start and recognized we were now UC peers. And, mm -hmm. and so it, it's just really that kind of uh, tolerance and trust and, and blind uh, recognition of the unity that is what I want to bring to our, our provincial board of directors and then to our our party now as a as as a party proper because i do believe that premier kenny's leadership of our party a little bit stopped the typical uh, storming, forming, norming, performing elements of coming together. I think we didn't fully storm. And, and you can't stop people from storming. And so the pandemic response and the, that autocratic leadership style made people storm. And that's, I think, where the Alberta Prosperity Project comes from. I think that there were a lot of other con grassroots conservative-based movements that come about as a result of that. When you two talk about being relatively new to politics, I think that you are 100% reflective of tens of thousands of Albertans who I refer to as new conservatives yeah. that are have always been people who were conservative, but not from an organized perspective. And, and so you wanted to storm. You wanted to make sure that, uh, that conservative values, conservative mentalities, and conservative practices was the everyday practice in this province. And thank heavens that all of you opted to do it within the United Conservative Party rather than creating a, a, another party like Wild Rose or like Reform or just like any other alternative. So, and I think that what we saw at the AGM last month was an absolute reflection of what the United Conservative Party is. And so, so to those individuals who said that those that attended the AGM were not reflective of the party, I, I categorically object to that mindset because I think it is reflective. And, and I don't think that we are bad conservatives. I don't think we're intolerant. I don't think that we have mindsets that are about exclusion. I think we're actually all about inclusion. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't think there's any real secret recipe to keeping the board together or even keeping the party together other than just to talk about the fact that, you know what, folks, 
on six or seven or eight out of 10 issues, we're all on the same page. And I think we just need to assert that internally and ensure that that's what we focus on and we will be united. Yeah. And see, this is where an issue like uh, the, the COVID-19 scenario really separates the wheat from the chaff when it comes to leaders. Uh, that was an opportunity for a leader like Premier Kenny. He could have, pardon me, ex-Premier Kenny, he could have exercised good leadership. And instead of dividing the province, which he did, he really did that. He actually spoke in a, in a manner that divided the province. Um, we needed a strong leader that could keep us uh, just Albertans throughout that, right? Yeah. And that's that's what's going to really that's that's going to really show in the next three years uh, under the leadership of Daniel Smith. If she is an effective leader, she will um, be the catalyst that brings the people of Alberta together and unites them on those common ideas mm -hmm. uh, and gives them kind of the you know the leadership they need to work together, even though they don't dis or they don't agree on everything. So that's going to be a real that's going to be a real report card for for Premier Smith, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, I there certainly are a lot of a lot of divisive issues these days, and it's not like seventy percent and thirty percent anymore. It's forty nine and fifty one, and that's yeah. a really tricky uh, scenario to be a leader in. Yeah, yeah. So, Rob, I I wanted to ask. So, you were voted in as president of the provincial board, and then what happened? Like, did you, did you have meetings? Did you uh, talk to uh, uh, the premier? Like what, what, what happened to you this month is kind of what, uh, in a nutshell. So one of the things that, that happened right immediately is we did get together as a, a full board. We were only missing uh, Premier Smith because of course she had headed off to the Maritimes, I think for a first minister's uh, meeting. But we did have both Jackie Lovely and Shane Getson, uh, who are the caucus representatives to the provincial board with us. So we had 19 of, out of our 20 directors. We just had a brief conversation while we were still at the BMO in Calgary. But then we uh, we kind of got down to work. And so uh, we had a Zoom meeting uh, as a board on the Thursday night uh, following AGM. And then we would have another one a week after that. So we've had two Zoom meetings. Uh, a number of committees are starting to form um, our our VPs uh, like Sonia Eggy Samu with fundraising and Patrick Malkin. Uh, with uh, membership and Samantha Steinke with communication. Uh, Ken Engler is our treasurer. And uh, of course, the uh, inimitable Raymond Strom with policy and governance. Those individuals are striking their committees and, and the PPGC or the policy and governance committee, they've met already twice through the month. I've, I've been with them a couple of times and all the regional directors immediately reached out to all of the presidents they have within their uh, five regions from South Calgary, Central, Edmonton, and North, and, and they're having meetings now on a monthly basis. So I would say that business as usual started like the day after uh, the AGM was done. Personally, uh, I reached out to Jack Redekop, who uh, I only narrowly defeated to become the president of the board of directors, to see if Jack would uh, assist me and advise me as the president of our provincial board on Calgary Matters, and, uh, and, and he uh, hastily agreed to do that, and so I really appreciate that. Um, folks like Rick Orman and, and uh, John Williams, who also ran, are collaborating with Sonia Eggy Samu and, and myself uh, to work on some other initiatives. So I, I think that we're finding that many of the people that ran 
uh, are still going to be strong, strong contributors to mm -hmm. our party moving forward in, in the areas that uh, I think best reflects their ability to, to make a difference. And of course, I started having people reach out to me immediately, uh, a number of which are about truly political issues that are within the purview of the government, less so within the purview of our board of directors. But yes. I, I, I do listen. I do my very best to listen. Yeah. And, and that's a good question just there. So what exactly can the board do versus what we, we, we know anything that goes into the legislature, that's how things become law. Um, but what what do you guys do to influence that or what can you do? Well, like our our real focus is the health of the party. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I mean, so we want to work on on fundraising and we want to work on uh, increasing the uh, strength and quality of our communications with our membership across the board mm -hmm. and and shoring up the strength as well as the funding of our 87 CAs around the province. And, and this is absolutely our primary focus. But uh, just last night, I, I was uh, at Fresh and Local in Calgary with a, a group of very, very strong conservatives, all of which are UCP members. Mm -hmm. um, and and Daryl Comick, who organized this event, he, he said to me, how are you going to ensure that the policies, the 29 out of 30 policies that actually passed at AGM are going to make it onto the government's legislative agenda? And, and while we have, I think, only a limited ability to do that, this uh, provincial board is incredibly committed to ensuring that the voice of our grassroots membership, like our 80,000 members across the province, mm -hmm. is heard and that it has an impact on the government. And, and so we will be pushing on both Shane Getson and Jackie Lovely, who sit as members of our board of directors, as well as Premier Smith, who is the leader of our party, to ensure that those ideas are making their way into caucus discussions and cabinet discussions and hopefully onto their legislative agenda. And one thing that was super exciting, and, and this actually goes back to uh, Kiria, the question that you asked earlier, one of the first people I heard from when I was announced as the new president of the provincial board was Premier Smith, who called me from the Maritimes to, uh, to congratulate me and in, in either that conversation or one that happened just a day or two later, she challenged me, and I've since turned that on to VP membership Patrick Malkin, to ensure that there is a time on the agenda for the AGM next year where there is the opportunity for the Premier and or affected cabinet ministers to actually address the policies that the membership of the United Conservative Party approved at our convention so oh, they can yes. get status update. And yes. I think that the idea of having our premier say, please ensure that we have time to, you know, offer a report card or at least just to give an update on where we're at with these yeah. is truly reflective of how committed to the grassroots and to the members of the UCP she is. And I thought that was really exciting. And I really yeah. applaud the premier for that. Yeah. Because I remember the before the AGM, there were, I think we went from like 130 policies that were at least presented down to 30. And even when we were at the AGM and we were talking about, so how do all 30 of these, if they went through, and of course 29 did, how would they actually go through um, and become law and talk about in the legislature? Because each one of those policies could easily be talked about for weeks on end, right? And and so having said that, what what does the board do in order to, uh, I mean, you you kind of answered that already, but to to make sure that these policies actually do go forward 
Well, you know, Carrie, as I mentioned, and I'm, I'm glad you reiterated the question because I missed a very important part of that. Uh, we definitely want to make sure that that stays front of mind for uh, the three members of caucus that actually sit on our provincial board. But uh, one of the other things that I, I mentioned last night, and I've mentioned lots of different places, is we all, as constituency associations and as UCP members, need to recognize we have a role to play in ensuring that those policies do uh, have the best possible opportunity to become part of the, the legislative agenda, which means yeah. if we're on a constituency association board that has a UCP MLA, we need every time we get together for CA meetings, which for some CAs, many of them is actually monthly, which is great, they yeah. need to remind their, uh, their MLA to ensure that this stuff gets talked about. For those that actually don't have a sitting MLA, they need to work with their surrounding constituency associations uh, or their their regional directors to ensure that that continues to be pushed and, and maybe write letters of support. And just, you know, we none of us are, are registered lobbyists, but we all have a lobby responsibility because we are active members of the conservative community and, and we are UCP members. So it, to ensure that the will of our members has its best opportunity to perhaps become law, we yep. need to make sure our, our politicians remember. And I'm not saying that they are negligent. That's not my point at all. You had pointed out, Carrie, there's only so many bills that can make it into session. Yep. And we recognize that the government's job is to prioritize that stuff. Mm -hmm. And we know that one of the things they've said is um, that while uh, those policies might be the will of the UCP membership, they are elected to represent the whole of Alberta. But the comment that Daryl Comick made last night that really stuck with me is uh, he, he said, he said, shouldn't we challenge the politicians on that? Because are those just reflective of the United Conservative Party membership? Or is it not possible that those are reflective of the province as a whole, recognizing we are a conservative province? Mm -hmm. I mean, put us all together. We are majority a conservative province. Uh, conservative province. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of think the argument that uh, what the what the membership approves in terms of policy within the United Conservative uh, Party not reflecting Albertans, I think we can push back on that because we know our province, and I think we know those are the values of our okay. province as a whole. Well, there, uh, sorry, I was uh, I was distracted because I was trying to reply to some comments okay. that needed to be addressed. So I, I want to go a little bit further into how we get some of this policy into legislation. Now, one of the things that's on my radar is uh, I feel like there's some policy missing that needs to be tabled at the next AGM. Um, I want to have, uh, I want to see uh, a party governing this province where democracy is extremely apparent in all facets of, of its of its tenure. Like I want the people to be able to um, you know elect an MLA on their on their campaign and on their platform, their values and principles, and then hold them to those values and principles and to their platform throughout, right? And how many times have we have we elected uh, somebody to represent us to be our voice to find out that they were never planning on being our voice and uh, our voices aren't heard. I mean that's what we saw largely under the Kenny government, for sure, under the Notley government, and uh, even even in the previous 44 years of, of conservative government in Alberta, uh, a lot of people felt like that. So I want to see that change, and I've realized that the power of the people is not only 
present it at election time in checking the box, mm -hmm. but informing the policy that guides and governs the actions of those who we elect to represent our voice. So mm -hmm. that for me is key. So, you know, knowing that there's a board that's that believes in democracy and having people's voices heard, that gives me a lot of hope. And there are people in this province, all over this country, that have lost hope in the process. There are plenty of people, even in this webinar, they're commenting, you know, you can't win. You can't win playing in their sandbox by their rules. Everything mm -hmm. needs to change. And I just want to remind people, you know, we have this structure, this system that we've kind of built for ourselves or allowed to be built around us. And it's what we have right now. And I, for one, uh, I'm not going to stop working and doing everything I can to fix things from within the system because we've learned if we bring enough people with us and we show up, we can change things. And when people speak, change happens. That's, so that, that's, that's, that's really what we're doing here. That's really what we're talking about is, you know, not just taking the bull by the horns again, but, uh, well, actually, yeah, taking the bull by the horns. We've just been along for the ride and it's time to change that. So it's cool. To, it's cool to hear that the provincial, uh, the provincial board directors are, they're, they're, they're listening to that type of discussion. Well, and, and, and Chris, like, like really, really committed to it as well. So I, I think it's not being terribly critical, uh, recognizing that UCP is a young party to say that we have perhaps uh, not always even abided by our own governance that has been put in place. Um, and so one of the things last weekend, the uh, the 17 members of the provincial board of directors elected by the UCP membership, we didn't have uh, our, our two uh, caucus representatives. And of course, Premier Smith was at COP28. Um, so we, we focused just on the 17 that were selected by the membership because we actually felt we needed to have some very, very frank discussions that maybe we didn't think that it was in the best interest of our elected MLAs to be part of because we really needed to get down to some nitty gritty, recognizing that we haven't always abided by our governance. We've we've had committees that have popped up uh, that, that have acted with perhaps not quite the level of oversight that our governance uh, gives us the authority to have. And, and, and so we just want to do all those things right. And I think, Chris, you're right on the money when you talk about the cynicism of, uh, of people with respect to politics and politicians. And I think a huge, huge part of that is about uh, like uh, there, there's this old mindset. I think it was perhaps from uh, from Governor Cuomo in uh, in New York, where he said we we campaign in poetry and we govern in prose. And I, I think that people have gotten very tired of that. They want people to govern the same way that they were attracted to be voted on in the first place. And so this is a, a board of directors that is 100% committed to uh, the work of the party happening like last month and this month and every month through 2024. And we want to be door knocking and we want to be spreading the United Conservative Party message and building on creating converts, uh, both in those constituencies where we are not fortunate enough to have a sitting MLA, as well as those that we want to ensure that we retain in 2027. And the thing is, it's not just the 20 of us on the board that are talking about that. 
we're of that mindset because we're hearing from people that were candidates in Edmonton that they'd like to have their candidates now, that they want to be right on the ground now trying to do that work for 2027. And for the number of ridings that we lost in Calgary, which is as conservative a city as I think exists in the world, mm -hmm. uh, they want to be doing that work now in places like Calgary Mountain View. And so we, I mean, if there's, and, and I believe actually, Chris and Carrie, that this again comes back from the, uh, the get up off the, the couch mentality or the get away from the, the um, complaining around the kitchen table mentality that has been kind of a, a generational situation that we've had with politics and roll our sleeves up and make stuff happen. And so when we've got members, you know, right now, 80,000 members a year ago, it was, uh, 140,000 members. We have a goal that we're going to get back up to 250,000 members within the next um, uh, year and a half to get those people doing the groundwork to, to make people into converts and to talk about the fact that this United Conservative Party is their party. It's not a scary bunch of people that want things that are dissimilar from the values of virtually every one of the millions of Albertans there are. And that has to happen now. And we hope that bit by little bit, that can build up some trust and some recognition that the cynicism goes away. And we hope that that does have an impact on our politicians as well. There's no question, because then hopefully they are also a product of all of these tens of thousands of conservatives across the province that are doing this work every day in the 87 constituencies around our great province. Yeah, right. So you're, you're uh, the board is responsible for the health of the party, building the party, building the membership, creating a strong party. Um, my goal is a little bit different. Now, I, I believe that I'm about building the movement, right? The, the, the movement of people who want to be involved and are working towards uh, a solution for this province. Um, and, and I want to I want to do everything I can to create this parade of freedom and prosperity minded individuals uh, so that the politicians will want to get in front of that parade, because really, that's that's. That's what a politician does. I mean, if the entire country says we want to go towards, um, you know, net zero 2030 and we want to abandon all of our human principles, well, <laughs> the politicians aren't going to get elected if they campaign against it. Right. So there's two there's two parts to this, folks. There's the political side um, where 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 politicians will get in front of the people who are creating this movement uh, to, to demand change. And then there's a the movement itself. And that's where the Alberta Prosperity Project comes in. Um, we, we are nonpartisan, and we, and, but, but we have a duty to engage with the governing party because we want to make sure that our policies and our ideas and our members' voices are heard within government. That's, mm -hmm. our, that's our job. And right now, again, we have a very unique opportunity. Even the premier, um, you know, she's, she wants Alberta to be better. She wants to do everything she can to make this province better. And she's she's trying her darndest to do it in the face of quite the woke mob. Um, it's a lot. That's a lot of uh, a lot of chore for her. So, you know, it, there's there's people that say we need to put our differences aside, but we also have to understand that there's more than one thing going on here. Like that party, the UCP took an absolute beating over the last three years and just recovered with some fresh faces and some renewed interest and some changes that we were looking for. But really we have to continue building the, the movement that demands change that puts us back on a path of prosperity and human values. Right. So that's kind of, 
for any of you folks that are wondering what our place as the Alberta Prosperity Project is in, in engaging or talking with uh, the United Conservative Party, that's where it is. We, we are nonpartisan, but we understand that the government is making legislation. And if we can do something to be involved and encourage other people to get involved and bring policy and legislative ideas to the table that better the province, that's our duty. And it's yours too. Uh, so, you know, there's, I, I actually like it when people comment their frustration so we can deal with these things because that's a, that's a problem, right? The voter apathy and loss of faith in government is a problem. And the first, the first stage of finding a solution for a problem is figuring out what the problem is. Yeah. And so that's, that's something we can deal with, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and really what I was going to say too, is that, the Alberta Prosperity Project, of course, we, you know, we're talking about uh, uh, sovereignty and empowering people uh, and educating, uh, educating Albertans as well. And, and this might be a little bit of a, a, a sticky thorn to say, but it's not necessarily that we're all UCP supporters, right? I think we would end up trying to work with whoever was in government, whoever was the uh, the leading party. So if it was the NDP in this situation and we were having the same conversation with Rachel sitting in front of us, uh, actually it wouldn't be because I'm not even, do they have a, they must have a board, but I don't know. Oh, it'd be Gil McGowan, board. my friend Gil McGowan. Probably would be Gil. Gil wouldn't be on this show, but uh, <laughs> but we would we would definitely be having this conversation and trying to work with them to, to uphold values that we believe in and, uh, and and essentially the ones that, that did go through in terms of, of policies at the AGM. So, and, and again, having said that, so, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mix words here. I'm, I'm definitely one of those guys that, uh, that supports the idea of, of sovereignty. And if it ends up being uh, some sort of a uh, separate uh, separatism, well, then so be it. And we would definitely let the people of Alberta handle that decision and make that decision so having said that what would be what would be the course of action as you know it if something was to happen with that let's so we know danielle has already gone back to the government and said no get get out of our resources get away from our uh uh, uh we're not doing the carbon tax etc etc if it came down to that fact that you know what the only option that we would have would be to have a referendum on independence, where would you stand? And and there is no right or wrong answer. I just I just personally want to know. You know, Carrie, it, it's a it's a great question because my response yeah. is a little different today than it would have been before this whole process of of running for the the provincial board. Yeah. Um, I I had the great honor of serving as the uh, chief executive officer of the Canadian Angus Association for seven and a half years. So that's a national agriculture body. It's one of the largest uh, livestock uh, registries, uh, um, not-for-profit organizations in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a phenomenal group that uh, supports a, a, a great group of, of Angus breeders and producers across the nation. So I was able to travel our country through that professional responsibility and and just see how fantastic our country is and mm -hmm. and to experience the hospitality and tourism and learn more about agriculture and trade and industry yeah. development and business development and and so like I I have an incredibly high degree of appreciation for our nation as a whole so I've never considered myself 
uh, a person who thought Alberta should be independent or, mm -hmm. or its own sovereignty. But when this process started and I decided in very early September that I was going to run and I went to a, a number of conservative uh, groups that were bringing together one, two, three hundred people, uh, a lot like you two, fairly new to the political process. And I was asked this same question and I gave this answer. And, uh, and, and so this one gentleman from Medicine Hat said to me, what do we get out of Canada? What is Canada's benefit to us as a province of Alberta? Yeah. And, and I knew that this was a serious question. And so I was going through all of my uh, kind of tr tried and tested responses in my head, but I couldn't say any of them because none of them really were going to hold water. They were all rhetoric. Mm -hmm. the, the, the commitment that we make uh, in terms of the transfer payments, the the unbelievable discrimination that we have faced in terms of our resource development and, and being a resource-based economy, the degree to which our farmers and, and agriculture producers are being hampered by the most unbelievable federal overreach. And, and, and so for the first time in my life, I actually got thinking, perhaps, perhaps we could be better doing it on our own or doing it in collaboration with uh, some of our other provinces or having some kind of an independent arrangement where we're collaborating with certain states on on certain trade issues yeah. so carrie where i stand on this issue is and i hate the fact that we are so undone by an unbelievably unjust federal government like i do believe that a federal government under pierre polyev which i think we all have a very strong belief not would yeah, will yeah. be the next government we're still two years out from that so i mean what more damage can happen to alberta in that time frame That's i true. think that that what premier smith is trying to do is create the paradigm whereby it doesn't matter if we have prime minister polyev or we have uh, another prime minister trudeau in 30 years that alberta will always be able to be it, the master of its own destiny mm -hmm. and and i and i support that that is what I support. I had a conversation with uh, Danielle before she was, or no, yeah, she was still the premier. Uh, she was the premier, but she wasn't, she hadn't gone through the election campaigning in that capacity. She was, it was a by-election, but it's not. Hmm. I had this conversation with her. I said, you know, how can you, how, how do you have faith in repairing our relationship with within Confederation when all these things have happened? I mean, we obviously have an unequal treatment with regards to equalization, with the Canada Pension Plan, with employment insurance, uh, with our immigration policies, with our resource development, extraction, and export. Um, we lost in the Supreme Court on multiple fronts, specifically mm -hmm. with the carbon tax, the, where the court basically sided with the federal government and said, even though it's unconstitutional, we're going to side with the federal government because climate change, right? And she yeah. said, well, hold on a second. Yes, those things have happened but nobody has actually tried yet. And I, I was kind of taken aback. I thought, what do you mean nobody's tried? And she said, well, you know, the, the, the ruling on the carbon tax issue in the Supreme Court, it said, because neither side has disputed the facts of climate change, we rule in, in, the, in, in favor of the federal government. And I'm like, what That's do you right. mean, pardon me? Alberta knows that this, you know, yes, we have to protect the environment. Yes, we have to deal with pollution. But the idea that we have to, destroy our prosperity in order to save the human species in a 
country that's responsible for less than 3% of global emissions and probably absorbs more of that is absolutely ludicrous. So what I realized was that even though I know, because of what I've seen around me, uh, that Alberta would very likely be better as an independent sovereign nation, charting its own course forward, free of the federal government influence, I also realize that um, you know we, we do have a responsibility to try, and that's what the Premier is doing. Yeah, I want to make sure that Alberta is prepared in case we cannot stand up against the federal government and they want to take us down a path that will, you know, destroy our our what, you know, our our, our prosperity in this province. Mm -hmm. And also, as I traveled across the country with Carrie bouncing around that picker, picker truck, I met thousands of people from all over Canada, including some Quebec separatists and some Quebecers that used to be separatists, but all of the sudden weren't because they saw people coming together across Canada, realized that, hey, you know what? We are actually the same. This idea that Quebec and everyone else is different is just ludicrous. Mm -hmm. I realized somebody has to stand up to the federal government because there's a lot of people in this country who are going down this path as well, and they don't want to go. You think Saskatchewan wants to do this? You think most of British Columbia, lower mainland, yeah, they want to go to woke hell, but the rest of them, they sure don't. Yeah. Um, somebody has to stand up and say enough is enough to the federal government and take a stand. And, and that's why um, I believe it's so important that this province takes back all of the sovereignty and that the constitution legally and lawfully allows us to have right now. And then, you know what, if, if we still uh, can't chart our own course forward, we have to have another conversation. And I believe that conversation is imminent, but it this is also, it's not just a, you know, I'm tired of paying taxes thing anymore. It's literally a, this country is going down the tubes because the federal government, uh, the, the East and Central Canada have all of the votes tied up with entitlements mm -hmm. and, and things like that for, for that side of the country. We cannot stop it. The West, even if we all work together towards the same goal. So we have a responsibility and a duty to show the rest of the people in this country that don't want to walk this woke path. Mm -hmm. This is how we do it. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? A referendum on independence that empowers the provincial government to negotiate with that, with the federal government, that may be our only option. I believe it is our only option, but I'm certainly willing to to try and work hard with anyone that wants to uh, fix it in the meantime. So mm -hmm. that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I uh, you know we're we're 45 minutes in, 47 minutes in, and there are some some comments and some questions. So I'd like to get to some of those if you don't mind. For sure. Um, There's and again, you, Jeff, go ahead. Jeff okay, go ahead. I was just going to say, you may or may not know the answer to that because, uh, I mean, you're the board president and very often things will be interpreted as you're sitting on, you're sitting in government and you're actually making policy changes and you're doing all that stuff. And it's, it's no, you're the, the president of the board. So there are certain things that you can and cannot do. Chris, did you want to poke one on here or uh, I thought that's what you had said you were going to do? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, well, well, this is kind of like that. Basically there's people that are asking, you know, what is your position? What do you have to do? What changes you want to make and how are you going to improve your responsibility to the membership? Mm -hmm. So outlining your, your role, your responsibilities and your vision going forward for the sure. party. Well, and, and, and honestly, Chris and Carrie, I, I think it's fair to say that what I'm saying is, is the board's vision. 
because uh, and just come out of our retreat, we kind of consolidated around some of those ideas and, and we had absolutely unanimous support for the, the values that we hold the most dear. And, and that is that we recognize we are in the positions we are because of the members of our party. And our job is to serve those members of the party. Um, and we serve them as individuals. We serve them as members of their constituency associations. So we need to also have a very, very strong relationship with those 87 constituency associations. We all recognize that uh, access to database information and the connectivity of our membership, the connectivity of our constituency associations has faced a, a multitude of criticisms in the past. And these are things that we are going to be very, very quickly trying to remedy and ensure that we have greater connectivity and we have not just the ability to share our information, but way more importantly, hear from our membership in terms of what their uh, needs and requirements uh, and, and the tools that they're after are. And then we will ensure the satisfaction of those needs. We're actually working on a needs assessment right now to go to our 87 constituency associations. Yeah. Um, and, and while some good work was done by the past chair, Cynthia Moore, in creating monthly president's meetings of the presidents of CAs with her, and I'm definitely going to continue that. We also we, we want to modify that so that it's uh, it's a pipeline that's working both ways. It's not just an information push, but it's also the opportunity to hear so that uh, the CA presidents from across the province can also hear other successes that are happening or perhaps other challenges that are happening. And then we understand there's a critical mass of those things so that it's a free flowing communication. But by the same token, um, Sonia wants uh, a, a, a group that's set up that's all the VP fundraisings and Patrick wants one for all the VP memberships and Raymond wants one that's all the VP policy and governance so that we've got way more touch points of connectivity between the provincial board and the 87 CAs. So, mm -hmm. so that's just super, super important. Uh, I, I think that while the provincial board is in terms of its its terms of reference and, uh, and our bylaws, we are a governance board. We also recognize that in terms of those portfolios of our vice presidents, that uh, we're probably going to have more active VPs than maybe the party has had in the past in terms of liaising a lot more uh, through Dustin Van Vutt, our executive director and his staff team, and then also the committees that are actually made up to work on fundraising events and work on communication strategies. So I just think this is a board that's gonna be probably reflective of our membership, particularly that new conservative membership of people that actually wanna be involved and they wanna make stuff happen with other people that's gonna lead to tangible results. So uh, the, the, if you want to talk about what's basic to us as a member, as a provincial board is we want to open the United Conservative Party up so that everybody who's a member and everyone who is a potential member knows that they can access and they can come in and they can share and contribute and that there is no uh, vice against them for doing so, whether they are a uh, a person who first bought a membership in the PC party in the 1970s, or whether they were someone who broke away in the uh, early 2000s with the Wild Rose Party, or whether they're someone who's just got out of high school and they want to be involved politically for the very first time. The United Conservative Party is the home for them, and we want to welcome them and make them comfortable and give them uh, the opportunity to have a voice and for us to reflect that voice.
So just a quick point here, Gordon Tabachnik, uh, he, he's, he, I think you asked a question that I missed. So please put it up again and I will do my best to present it to Rob. I do have a question though, Rob, there is a lot of, a lot of comments in here regarding the policies. Uh, my friend Steve asked, Hey, you know, these policies got passed at the AGM and we touched on it a little bit, but I'm going to turn that question around. So the question is, um, when will the policies that we voted on as a party at the AGM be, when will they come to fruition? But I'm going to yeah. frame that in a different way. What does, uh, what do we need to do as members or Albertans to make sure that those policies make their way into official government policy or legislation? Be actively involved in being a proponent of those policies. And whether you want to take one policy and make that be, you know, the kind of standard bearer that you're focusing on, or whether you want to take five, um, I think that's probably a little easier than all 30, but there are 29, I guess I should say. But like we as a provincial board are absolutely going to advocate, but uh, advocate to your MLA, advocate to the ministers. Um, there is no question that critical mass leads to response. So yeah. if you if you write letters to the affected ministers um, regarding some of those policies that we passed that had to do either with uh, with health or whether they had to do with education, there were a lot to do with with education um, uh, and uh, and advanced education. Like, do not hesitate to put as much pressure as you want on those ministers, because if it's if you're relying just on the party board to do it, honestly, it isn't enough. We, we need our MLAs pushing for that, so you need to push your MLAs. We need our ministers to recognize the need to put some of this stuff into legislation, so contact them as well. And we know that there is a certain amount of legislation that does come out of the, the, the Premier's office, or at least uh, some, some, um, some influence on legislation as it's coming forth uh, from the, the ministers. So don't hesitate to include Premier Smith on some of the distribution of your stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest sending those as an individual email or an individual letter each time rather than just copying 35 people on something you send, because I think that that might be fairly easy to dismiss. But we all have a role to play. And if we all actually push, that's the best way to make this stuff into reality. So just to sum that up, um, I think we need to create the parade that the politicians get in front of. We need yeah. to build the movement and show them that we mean business and that we can agree on these things and we can uh, uh, use our collective voices to demand they do it. If we mm -hmm. bring enough people, they will do it. That's just that's, that's right. kind of how politics works. It's just a math problem. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And, and Chris, it's something that you mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago in terms of, of your, your story as well as what Alberta Prosperity Project uh, kind of what your um, reason to be is. And so, uh, I mean, everything is about the number of people who seem to support something. So, you know, I kind of think that perhaps over the last 20, even 30 years, politicians, I, I think we've kind of backed off on engaging with politicians in quite the way things happened in the 50s and perhaps particularly the 60s and even into the 1970s. And I think while we've 
come into this age of this these extraordinary fast uh, communications, we're actually way more disconnected than we used to be. So mm -hmm. if we actually just put pencil to paper or we send an email or or you know we do these things where we are creating the movement i think that actually ends up supporting the politicians to get behind these ideas exactly what you're saying for them to want to then step in front of the parade that is existing from their their uh, the albertans that they represent so chris i think you're right on the money i'm going to add it like a second part to that because patty says Email and phone calls seem to fall in deaf, ears, uh, deaf ears of MLAs. Sad that you can't even get a response from them. Someone has to hold the MLAs accountable. So my question to you is, let's say I write to, not my MLA, because my MLA is NDP, but let's say I write to a, uh, a UCP MLA. Does the board or the CA get to see that uh, and, and do any influence? Do you hear about any of those? Or will you hear about any of those? Or is it just right to the MLA and that's where the buck stops? So completely with respect to that comment, um, you know, I, I, I know that like phone calls, phone calls are not the best uh, because you can't prove it. And and like, I, I hate the idea of, of needing to prove a phone call. But, yeah. but the point of that is that when something's written, well, then it is a critical mass. And I can tell you that when I worked for the government, for the, the 4-H branch, and this is kind of going back to what was that uh, Hay West campaign that, that happened in about 2002, 2003. Um, anytime there were five letters that were sent to a minister, that actually led to an action request. So, so when five letters came in to a minister, and this was, you know, 20 years ago, um, to someone in government, it would have started with an ADM that then maybe ended up going to a branch head that then ended up going to some kind of a director or a, or a manager or something. But somebody, and fast, needed to respond to that. So mm -hmm. I don't know if there's been a change in those 20 years, but I, I have to believe that there is still a critical mass, whereas if, if a certain number of letters about a same uh, topic area are submitted, there will be a response because there has to be. Okay. So I, 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 I th and I mean, maybe that's a little tougher in health and maybe a little tougher in education just because they're such massive, massive ministries. But, uh, but I mean, you can't ignore 50 letters, right? Like there's no way you can ignore that. No government can do that and, and, and be conscionable. So, so that's, the, I, I still think it is, it is the right way to go. They can do it for a time. Kenny did that for a time, but look where that landed him. Yeah, that's right yeah. too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and it's probably safe to say that this government is sensitive to that, right? I, I mean, you know, because it was so recent, I, I would think they're sensitive to that, so would not make that same mistake. Mm -hmm. One of the problems uh, that we're overcoming, and you know, you mentioned how politics worked in the fifties. Well, in the fifties, at least from what I understand. A politician could have a principled stance on something and promote their own values and encourage people to come with them in their pursuit of those values. We don't see that so much today. It's almost as if, uh, you know, we could have a very principled politician who's a very good person, whatever, but will cave to woke ideology or junk science policy or whatever because they believe that that's what the people want, right? So we also, there's there's another part of this that we don't often think about, and that is, 
we we have to be be willing to give our politicians the courage and encouragement to stand up for good values and good principles. We haven't done that, but the other side has been very very noisy. There's there's two different things here. There's there's an apparent or a perceived um, what was the word you used, Rob? A perceived like what people want and mm -hmm. the reality of what people want. So this. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had lots of lobbying and foreign funded interference and propaganda put out in this country and in this province that has made it seem like Albertans want to pursue um, unsustainable green tech or, you know, carbon taxes or these types of things, the, the own nothing and be happy scenario. But that's not the reality. The reality is that Albertans want to be prosperous and chart their own course. So it... We, we spend a lot of time focusing on how we're going to hold our MLAs accountable, how we're going to uh, fire them if they don't do good. But we forget that it's equally important to encourage them or give them a pat on the back when they're doing something good. Everybody needs that. And I think right now, with that 49 to 51% split that we see, being an MLA is almost an unwinnable position. And I can't even imagine um, having to deal with that type of thing every day, only negative things. Like we got to make sure that when politicians are doing the right thing, that we support it and we mm -hmm. commend them for it. You know, Chris, you you it, it's such an important point that you raise. And, and one of the things I'd like to suggest with respect to that as well is is um, in Canada, we are polite. And I mean, we're, we're renowned around the world for being so polite. But sometimes that also means that when um, when we're faced with opposition to what is perhaps even a deeply held principle, we do back down because we're polite. We're not actually wanting to enter the fray of of opposing that individual and forcing a confrontation. And as conservatives, we also have a, a very strong fiscally responsible mindset. And while I believe that all of the conservatives I know are as compassionate as as any left-leaning people that I know. In fact, I think they're probably more compassionate, to be honest, and more empathetic. But we're not defined by that. We're defined by fiscal conservatism. So I think that it's also very easy, coupling that with being polite, to when you are faced with wokeism, to a little bit back down and 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 perhaps even overcompensate for what are your own deeply held principles, because the way that's been put style, you are feeling like, well, geez, maybe I am holding a, a deeply held prejudice that I didn't realize that I had. And I think that part of what you're talking about, in addition to supporting our MLAs is, and I don't think this means we're being in your face or that we're being lacking in humility or anything. I think it's okay for us to be proud conservatives and stand up for what we stand for. You know, we 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 had a couple of uh, of uh, transgender individuals that attended our AGM, and and I'm I'm hoping to actually visit with both of them uh, still in the coming weeks. And I found out that I actually know one of them uh, from when I went to university and didn't realize it at the time. But I was very delighted to hear that even though those two ladies spoke against uh, some of the policies that were put forth, and and, and they they failed in what they were trying to convince people of that 
friends of mine spoke to both of them afterwards, some of our fellow members of the provincial board, and those individuals felt very well treated. They felt very at home at the United Conservative Party AGM, and they left it feeling like stronger uh, conservatives than they did when they came, and they felt treated with respect. And so to me, if we're conservative and we treat people that maybe don't hold some of the same ideals as sacrosanct, uh, with respect, what's wrong with us being proud conservatives and not backing down in the face of uh, the green activism that wants to say that we have no climate plan and we're ruining the planet? So, Chris, I'm just wanting to say that to kind of enhance a little bit what you're saying, that I think it's okay for us to be proud conservatives, which I think we often have not been, particularly in recent years, because we're just we're so defined by fiscal conservatism. That's an often overlooked part of being conservative. You know, as a conservative, I say, stay out of my life, leave me alone, let me do my own thing, let me make my decisions and be accountable for them and 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 yes. and yes. prosper or consequence, right? Yeah. Uh, but we forget that we need to allow other people to do the same thing, right? And the 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 transgender issue, that's a very uh, that's a good example, right? We. Maybe we agree, maybe we don't agree, but really whose business of it is ours because it, we're not in their body. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can stomp your feet and say whatever all you want, but that's what being a conservative really means. And it goes right into, you know, the, the family's the conversation. We as conservatives, many of us have a problem with what we see going on in public libraries, you know, with mm -hmm. kids being exposed to things they shouldn't be exposed to. And we forget that their parents are bringing them there, mm -hmm. right? As a conservative, don't you dare tell me how I have to raise my kid or what I can teach them. We have to remember that we have to we have to uh, extend the same uh, the same respect to other people, regardless of whether or not we believe or are aligned with the way they want to bring their children up. And sometimes it's scary and it's a sad thing to watch because you know we see the consequences of of some things and it's and it's not pretty. But that's that's the double-edged sword of conservatism. Yeah. That is true. Um, I do have another question here. So we talked about the the, the twenty or uh, twenty nine of the thirty policies, and if they finally get to be a bill and and get uh, brought up in the ledge. But here's a good question, and I don't know what the answer is. So hopefully you do. Are the Stephen asks Are the conservative MLAs required to follow what was voted on in the AGM, or or can they end up acting independently and even in opposition to some of the policies that were passed? Is there, do they, are they told to, you know, are, is there a party whip where they say, you know what, everyone's got to vote this way or you'll be ousted? Or can they actually vote independently from the rest of the party? I, I, I you know, just based on my knowledge of, of how yeah. government operates uh, in a situation where party politics exists, I, I do think it's the whip's job to... Yeah. Uh, to try to ensure that everyone supports uh, in equal measure uh, or stands in opposition in equal measure, if you want to look yeah. at our federal conservatives. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think that you would expect to see uh, MLAs in Alberta vote as a block in, in favor, particularly of legislation they're put for they're putting forth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, though, that if you look at like if you're considering the policies that our party adopted, um, I would be really surprised if any of those makes their way into legislation 
whether it's going uh, as far as the policy wants them to, or whether it's going partway as perhaps an interim measure. Um, I, I would suspect that the caucus would vote uh, en masse to support those things. I, I would yeah. I would expect they would. Okay. Um, our friend Benita, she asks, what do you anticipate will be one of the hurdles you will need to overcome over the next two years? Well, I, I, I think that uh, I think it's a great question and it's it's something that we've talked about a fair little bit um, with respect to the cities. There is this mindset in Calgary and probably in Edmonton as well um, that we're a rural party and that we cannot possibly uh, represent the cities. And going back to that whole mindset that on six or seven out of 10 uh, value statements, we're all in agreement. So I think that there's going to be a strong focus. It's one of the reasons why I asked Jack Redekop, please, you know, share with me your ideas uh, about the city of Calgary. Because while I went to the University of Calgary and I lived in Calgary uh, and, I, and I worked there for years, and while I got a degree from the U of A and I lived up there and I know Edmonton very, very well, I mean, I'm a country guy. And, uh, and I realize that there are some differences. So, like, honestly, I want to take a whole bunch of rural constituency association volunteers and bring them into the city to get together with a whole bunch of the great rank and file members and volunteers down there and just continue doing that, you know, like month after month after month, whether we're out door knocking or whether we're going to a social event and just have those folks interact so that we can create a lot more understanding. I don't really know that it's unity. I just think it's it's common ground and, and commonality that ultimately makes folks realize that what brings us together is far greater than what separates us. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've, I've had friends that uh, when I worked for the 4-H program or when I was working for the Canadian Angus Association, where I, I had one of my staff who lived in Calgary drive to a meeting in Edmonton. They had never driven QE2. And a friend of mine that I went out to Vermilion with to visit with a young person years ago when I was with 4-H who had had a tragedy in her life and we went to drive back on the Yellowhead, she'd never driven in the dark. She'd never driven outside of where there were streetlights. So there wow. are some really fundamental yeah. tiny little differences that I think is where some of this uh, lack of acknowledgement of how similar we truly are come from. So let's just do the things we need to to try to overcome that. But that's to Benita, and it's a great question. That's the thing that I am the most afraid of, but also the most excited about trying to overcome. Yeah. There was another question from Benita that I wanted to get to before we forgot, yeah. and I started it. So I will find it right. What are your top three suggestions? Is that That's the one? one yeah. Okay, I'll pop that up there. Yeah, there we go. Rob, I'm sensing there is a lot of work to be done. What are your top three suggestions for how UCP supporters can take action? Well, I, I think that, that we've talked a couple times about the first one, and that is like our, our members love policy. Not just in 2023 did they love policy. They love policy in 2022. I think they've loved policy every time we've got together, even before we had what I'd call those new conservatives. So I think the first thing to stimulate action is uh, if you want to support those policies, do the pushes with your, your MLA, uh, do the pushes with ministers, uh, get your CA involved and, and, and try to shore up our membership to, to make sure there's that many more people. 
um, that are wanting to support those policies. The second thing is, is certainly get involved with your constituency association, because there's this kind of mentality that we're busy for a year around election. And then three years, we do nothing. We don't fundraise. We don't do membership drives. And, and we want that if that is, in fact, a, a thing, we want that to be something from the past. And so we want to be focused on door knocking and membership recruitment and 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 conservative values uh, recruitment and spreading in Edmonton and in Calgary and all across the rest of the province, uh, like tomorrow, the next day and throughout 2024 and 2025. So get involved with your CA and become a volunteer and help spread the, the conservative gospel. And then I guess the third thing that I would say is, and this is something that's, that's going to come up. Um, we, we have CAs that would like to declare their candidate for 2027 right now. And, uh, and I was thinking that we could probably do that. And I can tell you that the board is very, very committed to a fair and open candidate selection process. Uh, and it's probably gonna look different and under different timelines than it has in the past. But we do have the Elections Alberta mandate to take a look at the constituency association boundaries and look at redistribution in the next couple of years. So I suspect you're going to see in 2024 that the, the provincial group is gonna be struck to make that happen. And then they will be holding hearings uh, yeah. across the province. So the third thing I wanna say is, uh, if you either support or don't support what those redrawn boundaries look like, get involved with that and make sure you yeah. speak to it. Um, because, you know, that has an impact on uh, on representation, whether we're going to see an increase from 87, which probably makes sense. We know that they want to always favor the areas with a, a greater population. And, and I mean, we can recognize the value to that. But look at, at Nate Horner's constituency. I mean, from from Provost down to the southeast corner of the province and, yeah. and almost to Three Hills. I mean, Nate Horner has a, a colossally large physical territory. And so I, I just, uh, that's going to be coming and I want people to be paying attention to it and, and get involved to the degree that you can. That That's a great statement because I think where I actually live has been in, like in the last three elections has been in three different constituencies. <laughs> They've renamed it, right? And it's based upon all the expansion that's going out uh, northwest from where I am. And sure. uh, and and even that is puzzling when I go in and I'm supposed to vote. Where am I actually? Where am I supposed to be? So yeah, get involved. Make well, sure you make make sure you vote where you should be. Yeah. Speaking to those commissions, I mean, they can actually change. Uh, eight yeah. years ago, the last time this this review happened, Oldsdidsbury Three Hills was going to be split on on 2a that actually goes through the town of olds oh, yeah. and so yeah. the college would have actually gone to a different constituency than the town proper was okay. and and so we were fortunate to have uh, uh an individual that i think ended up sitting on the provincial commission um that that spoke very seriously against uh like that that was just a ridiculous idea and they were able to get that changed so okay. so it's not like these things are so set in stone that uh that that logic and reason can't have a uh, positive impact on them yeah i have a question so if the UCP provincial party takes note that there is uh, policy recommendations or legislation being tabled that is obviously not, uh, you know, from the voice of Albertans and is instead, uh, you know, from an outside organization that we don't elect and are not accountable to us. Uh, 
is there anything that the provincial board can do to try and ensure that all legislation and policy that's presented within legislature is to our benefit and not an ideological driven virtue signal from an unaccountable entity outside the province? And I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel that uh, that that yes, absolutely, Chris. The the you know I I don't think I don't think the government, honestly, the current government, um, is very interested in 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 situations like that. Um, but if for some reason something like that happened, um, you know, the 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 provincial party in 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 uh, representing its membership i think would be pretty sensitive to something that that seems um like there's an ideology behind it that isn't consistent with what the majority of our membership would like and and, and we wouldn't have any trouble questioning that and and like so so being a ca president uh representing a ca that had lost confidence in Premier Kenny and, and the leader of our party, Kenny, and decided to push back. And when nothing was happening with that within the party, we decided to go public. You know, I hope that something like that never happens again, because I'm hoping that the lesson that was learned from that by the party and by the politicians is uh, pay attention to your base, pay attention to your membership, and respond to them in the manner that they expect to be responded to. And I don't think any of us were ever trying to hold anybody's feet to the fire. I think all that we wanted was just to have reasonable conversation and reasonable discussion. I, I think that if any party, conservative anyway, in Alberta, decides that they're going to start doing things that don't seem to be consistent with the membership, Mm -hmm. I believe the membership will push back. And I think that the membership now, the new conservatives, will be more apt to push back than perhaps they even were two, three years ago. And and that's why I'm confident that our, our politicians are mindful of that and, and know that that doesn't just reflect the new conservatives, but that that is, in fact, reflective of the bulk of Albertans, the bulk mm -hmm. of Albertans that gave them a majority mandate and so they will they will be thinking about Alberta as a whole with the legislation they put forth. Yeah, and even at the AGM, we saw the membership put some of those things into policy, right? Like we had a we had policy on uh, on fifteen minute cities. We had policy affirming parental rights. We had policies basically standing against these outside influences that want us to do things that are not, you know, it's not what we want, right? So again, you know, bring enough people. There's 4.5 million people or so in this province and uh, half of them vote or something like that. And of the half that vote, maybe 10% of them get involved in day-to-day -day politics. Doesn't take much to move the needle. And well, and, and, and Chris, you're entirely right. And something that I think is important to note too is, I mean, for some of those very topics you were just talking about, we, we have some precedent set within our nation. I always like it when Alberta is the leader, but uh, I mean, color me completely surprised when New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs does what he does back in, in June um, with respect to those discussions of, of, uh, of family um, and what that means. And I mean, he even had a bit of a caucus revolt, but in the end, the people of New Brunswick are supportive of what it is he said 
they were going to do. Look directly to the east of us and what Premier Scott Moe has done with respect to that very conversation. And I mean, they've taken, I think, the, the national lead uh, on ensuring um, that, that, that no one will speak for children more than their families will. So, I mean, when those precedents already exist, why would Alberta ever not want to continue to do the same thing when ideologically that's very, very much who we are? Mm -hmm. And Benita is correct here. The conservative momentum in BC is growing right now by leaps and bounds. I would say that the conservative momentum globally is yeah. growing in leaps and bounds. Well, well the pendulum yeah. swung off really far uh, to the left at one point here, and it's coming back. And there's, I mean, uh, Rob, did you, you attend the Ben Shapiro yeah. uh, thing in Calgary? Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. Did you did you see Ben Shapiro in Calgary by chance? Uh, no, I didn't. No. So we, Carrie and I were uh, we attended the Ben Shapiro event, and and he he described Donald Trump, who was like, you know, the uh, he's almost a cartoon version of a conservative, as a throbbing bright orange middle finger to the left. That's kind of the type of thing we're seeing. I mean, people are so annoyed with the things that have occurred over the last 10, 15 years uh, that we, we're starting to really make some waves. Uh, all over Europe, they've been, uh, people have been voting to reject the globalist agenda. Uh, Netherlands elected a uh, kind of a far-right conservative government. These things are, you know, Alberta elected a conservative government. Saskatchewan, British Columbia, their conservative movement is growing. As a matter of fact, the conservative party, I think, is growing faster than it has in the last 30 years there. It's, um, things are changing. So, you know, for those folks out there that are really frustrated and just want to give up, my friend Maria, she I forgot to put the question up there, but she said, so what do we do? We just work for the next three years and try? Well, yes, that's exactly what we do. We work, that's we it. work, and we work at it, and we keep on going, and we don't stop. And you know what? If uh, if if it's not successful this way, it's get, we're going to be successful another way. But I want to try this first. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Right at the time of our AGM, a lot of people were talking about um, the the extraordinary result of the election in Argentina, uh, mm -hmm. which has been a, a, that's right a, too. Major problems for yeah. you know almost a generation now as well. Again. I, I feel, and I suspect you guys probably agree with this, I, I, I feel like this is absolutely a global response mm. to wokeism. That, 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 I mean, after, you know, a number of years of political correctness, and, and, and I mean, I'm, I don't want to offend anybody either. It's never my desire to do that. But the idea of, of you know, having a, a, a little tiny 16 year old girl screwing up her face and telling the world how they should operate. And, and I have learned so many great lessons from young people and I've spent a big part of my professional life in youth development. But I mean, that kind of a situation, I think the majority of people look at that and say, is this really who we are? Like, is this, is this the global authority? on mm -hmm. economics and and, and and climate change. Like, I mean, come on. And so I honestly think that Time Magazine, naming Greta Thunberg uh, as, a, as a man of the year, person of the year, plus yeah. the overcompensation that we did in terms of, of the world shutting down through the pandemic, I honestly think that's when the world said, you know what? We have taken this way, way, way too far. And, and because of the pandemic, 
A lot of people felt it economically. Uh, we see the impact that's had on people, particularly children socially. And so I think that people have just finally said, whoa, 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 let's get some common sense. And what is more common sense than conservatism? I mean, really, what is more common sense than conservatism? Yeah. Our job becomes to uh, be good at ambassadors for conservatism because we do have a bit of a, a bad yeah. image to try and you know break down from days gone by. Uh, there are people out there who actually believe that as conservatives, we want people who disagree with us to die. And at no time has that ever crossed my mind. We just have different opinions on things. So we, we yeah. <laughs> Benita's right. We have so much work to do. And one of the things is repairing relationships uh, with, with people of differing values that have been so damaged that we're at the point where those they're, they're feeling that way about us. We're all, we're all human beings. We just yeah. want to live a little bit differently and we should be able to do it in, in, a, in peaceful coexistence. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, the work is never ending. For sure. So yeah, this yeah. live is almost never ending Carrie. It's an hour and a half almost so far. <laughs> There were still like three or four questions I wanted to get to, but right. definitely I want to do one one here. Uh, Debbie asks or states, I guess, our current government did not campaign on a provincial police force, nor did they campaign on an Alberta pension plan, which they're now spending millions of our dollars to force down our throats. Does that sound familiar? That's uh, autocracy or autocracy, not democracy. Do you want to make any statement on that? Because, I mean, we when uh, Chris and I were doing uh, the APP stuff before the uh, before the election, before what ended up happening with uh, Jason Kenney and before uh, Premier Smith came in, we did talk about certain things that we could do. We talked about a provincial police force. We talked about pension. We talked about employment insurance, our own taxation. Um, so we, we were quite vocal on those sorts of uh of topics now granted maybe maybe uh jason kenny and his uh, cronies at the time didn't really speak out about that however it is where we're at right now and what i get i guess her question is is how can you change um or how can you make a policy be between election cycles uh or maybe maybe it's more a question of why can we not do a referendum on these sorts of issues? Well, and I, I, I think ultimately when we're talking Alberta pension plan, uh, I, I think that the, the end goal uh, would be a referendum. I think the premier has actually stated that if, if she believes that there is interest within the province. Yeah. I, I, I may challenge Debbie a, a little bit with respect to APP or meaning Alberta pension plan in terms of, uh, uh, I guess I'm not really feeling like it's being crammed down our throats. Yeah. Absolutely, the government is is uh, doing what I would suggest is its due diligence to uh, to see what the what the what Albertans feel about it, and knowing that um, you know the the NDP were very successful in controlling our narrative through the pre-writ period as well as for probably the first two weeks of the campaign in May, talking about how Premier Smith is going to uh, uh, make you pay for health care and they're going to take away your pension. And so I, I think that with that fairly fresh uh, as, a, as a wound that, that we didn't do an effective job of communicating about, I think the government is just wanting to try to 
spread as much possible information that's positive as they can while getting people's real opinion about what this looks like. You know, something that I thought was really critical and going back to when I said to you, Carrie, that when I was posed with the question of what does Canada do for Alberta, it was actually after that statement, the, the press conference that uh, Nate Horner and Premier Smith uh, had, and I think actually uh, Jim Denning was there with them when they talked about the 52% um, mm-hmm. or was it 54%, 54% of the Canadian pension plan is Alberta's. Even if that number isn't right, and I think we all recognize there's a possibility that maybe it's not right, but if the number's 40%, or if the number is even a third, if a third of the Canada Pension Plan is Alberta's, that's a massively disproportionate number. I mean, Alberta has definitely paid in in a way that we're never going to be paid out. So, uh, and, and I mean, Travis Taves, who we had as a as a treasurer for, for uh, Minister of Finance for four years, he a little bit came in and kind of validated those numbers. And, and I mean, a guy who left. So, so I think that the government has a responsibility to try to gauge what people think about our, our, our own pension plan. Going back, Chris and Carrie, to comments you guys have made about doing our own stuff. Um, and, and if that means our own provincial police force, and, and I'm not sure that that's something that there's active pursuit happening currently, but, but I, I, I kind of feel like that was part of what the mandate was about to our, our provincial government. So, you know, I, and I guess I don't feel like they're shoving it down our throats. I think they're investigating. Here's a great comment from Marvin. And we get this, uh, I hear this a lot. So. Marvin, this is regarding the pension plan. Marvin says, I'll vote no if a politician wants control of my pension. It's bad enough with what the Fed are already are doing to us. And you know what? Here's the deal, folks. The politicians already control your pension plan, your employment insurance, your CPP. All of mm-hmm. those things are just a act of parliament away from being changed. Period. And they don't even have to ask you. So my question is, why in the hell would any Albertan who pays into any of those things, be willing to let the federal government control them, knowing that an act of parliament can change them at any time, and we cannot affect parliament and and tell parliament to go the direction we want them to. Why would we allow those things to be controlled by a federal government that we cannot influence? The difference is all of those five things, pension, policing, immigration, tax collection, I always forget the. Uh, I always forget the the fifth one. All of those things, if we did them here in Alberta, and you as an Albertan don't like how it's being managed, you get a bunch of people together, you show up, and we change it because we can change things within our province. Unfortunately, we can't change things within, uh, you know, within Confederation. So that would be my answer to Marvin. Politicians mm-hmm. control your pension already. Best have it where we can control our politicians. Sorry, I said I wouldn't talk longly, and I just did again. Wow. No, but but that's a great response, Chris, and it, and it's very important for people to understand. And I'm not entirely sure because I mean our Canadian pension plan is this nebulous thing because it's over in Ottawa. I, I think that most people consider it not a function of politicians, and so what they're thinking the APP is is a move to where that becomes part of uh, of a politician's governance. When in fact, since the '60s when it was created, you're exactly right. Yeah. This is about when we use the term sovereignty, 
Sovereignty literally means that you can you control your destiny. You affect the outcome of your future. That's what Alberta needs to do. And to a large extent, the current government is is uh, pursuing sovereignty in many areas in this province. Um, you know, I, my opinion is that we need to go further. And I guess time will tell if I'm right, but we're certainly going to keep doing the work. Carrie, did you see any other questions there that we needed to? Well, there, I mean, there, there's always, always tons of questions. And thank you so much for everybody uh, watching and uh, spending the hour and a half. And uh, yes. if, if we can't answer your question, we do try and, and answer it later on. And I know there have been questions about the Alberta Pension Plan and what's what's going to happen, you know, with different different things that could possibly happen with that. And we are addressing that. We're actually doing an Alberta Prosperity Project tour come the new year i think it's starting in january and we'll be actually going out to uh, kind of like what we did with the uh, the sovereignty tour and and doing almost town halls if you wish uh in in various places across the province and we're going to be talking about the alberta pension plan and uh, i know tanner today has come on uh he'll be coming out and nadine nelwood uh, wellwood will be coming on um and uh, I believe Corey Morgan's going to come back again. And uh, is it is it Drew Barnes that's also coming on? Uh, possibly. I'm not 100% yeah. sure yet. Yeah, because he was part of the Fair Deal panel, which actually we were kind of uh, addressing in, in a lot of these discussions that did happen in 2019 and, uh, and when the Alberta Pension Plan was talked about before the election. So... It would be great to have his his input, and uh, and I mean, not, obviously they've crunched the numbers on their end. So, um, and not the government. It wasn't the government. That was it wasn't okay. the consulting okay. firm that the government commissioned to do it. So that's something okay. people have to understand. This isn't the okay. government saying this is what we should do. This is a third party reporting to the government, and the government using it to tell the people of Alberta what the options are. That's correct. I stand corrected. Obviously. Um, yeah, and and so obviously that's one thing that we're going to be doing, and and APP's goal is to educate, and uh, we want to get people informed on uh, on how to get involved, what they can do, and uh, and to, you know the whole idea behind education is at least in theory is to make you better prepared to make judgments and to and to go forward. So if the more information you have about such things as the Alberta Pension Plan. That is basically what we're trying to do is to, to give you that power to say, yeah, you know, I've really weighed it out in, in terms of my own uh, beliefs and maybe I'll vote for it or maybe I'll vote against it. But the idea is just education. So, yeah, allow Albertans to have informed consent. That's important. That's right. Yeah. Um, kids, any, any kids out there or people with, you know, that don't like nasty language, close your eyes for a moment. I got to bring this up. Our friend Stone says, I don't need a pension if they just stop taxing the beep out of me. That is true. That is, that is true. If you yeah. tabulate all of our taxes that we pay in this country uh, at all levels of government, it's almost 75% of the fruits of our labor go to support a government or a bureaucracy of one, in one form or another. So I'm going to say this and I will say it loud. And this is a message, some education for our politicians and the premier, do not put the gas tax back on. Absolutely. In January, you are correct. Right after Christmas, on the heel of some very bad federal policy, 
just before another carbon tax increase. Do not do it. You cannot and you should not post a $5.5 billion surplus and then tell Albertans that you're going to put the tax back on their yeah. fuel, which comes from the resources they own. Bad optics. Don't do it. You're right. And I believe there was a, uh, as I'm typing here, I believe there was a, uh, a petition put out by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And if there is, oh. I'll actually uh, post that. I'm pretty sure there was. Uh, no grocery tax. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't find it immediately, but I believe that there is something along that line. So I will uh, hunt that down and post that as well. So, yeah. Um, we don't actually, need... I want to let folks know, last time Rob was on a webinar with us, he actually did take time to go through and read the comments and answer questions. So thank you for doing that, Rob. And awesome. if we didn't get your question tonight, um, I, I anticipate that Rob probably will get to it in the future. So don't uh, don't lose hope. Excellent. And so, Rob's internet wore out. We broke his internet. <laughs> that, happens. that happens. That happens. Broke the internet. <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully Rob can hear us, and uh, thank you so much for for joining us and and having this uh, intimate conversation about what the board is doing and and how things are going forward, and and especially what you have been doing and uh, with with the board this entire month. It's uh, very much appreciative. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll definitely have you back on, let's say, in six months, and uh, we'll do a uh, report card on how Sounds how the perfect. government is doing. <laughs> Really, because I mean that would that would be great, right? And uh, and and as much as we would love to have you in every city, town, location, you know, we know that that's just not possible. It's until I finish that cloning machine that I'm really working on for Chris and I. Oh yeah, uh, that's great. <laughs> it's definitely not going to going to happen. So yeah. yeah. Did you want to? More, wanna... more of you guys is good. More of me, I don't think anyone would agree. <laughs> I was going to say, do you want to do a, a quick two-minute wrap-up on uh, on uh, on anything, Rob? Uh, where you're going, what your what your plans, and uh, etc. Sure, Carrie and, yeah. and Chris, just just thanks very much for. I mean, I know you guys are are nonpartisan, but uh, there is no question that that you reflect and I think support the conservative movement in the province. And and so as a fellow conservative, regardless of political party affiliation, just thank you for the work you do and the, and the great work that that APP does. Um, and uh, on behalf of our provincial board of directors, you know, we consider you to be a very, very important partner in supporting conservatism in the province. So uh, on behalf of, of the, the 20 of us that sit on the board, including Premier Smith, just thanks so very much and, and know that, uh, that we're going to be trying to do the very best we can to, uh, to emulate your success in both educating and supporting and helping to build. Uh, in our case specifically, the conservative movement with respect to the United Conservative Party, so that, uh, you know, when we're having this conversation in four years, we're looking at a legislature that maybe is over 80 seats, UCP, or maybe even all 87. Who knows? Maybe we can actually get the whole province on that. that. Would, I'm going to say would... that would be very dangerous, though, if it's oh. that much. I, I totally we, agree. We need, need, need an opposition. We, oh, we, need opposition. We, we do. I totally agree in uh, the de uh, democratic process that we need an opposition, no matter how big, how small, because otherwise it just ends up being a monopoly. And then the governing, you know, if you well, had 87, well, they would do whatever they want to do. Right. So. 
Opposition of seven is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I would be, uh, I would be, I would laugh out loud for sure. Yeah. Law and law. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks guys. Oh, yeah, thank, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, just so everybody knows that we do these, uh, Wednesday webinars every Wednesday. That's why they're called the Wednesday webinar. And, uh, next week it, we actually have, uh, I actually have to look up his name, Matthew Mitchell. And, uh, the topic is what is socialism really? And, uh, what we're experienced, uh, what we're, what we've experienced for people in Poland and Estonia who were forced to live under socialism and how did their lives materially improve as soon as they were able to transition to a market economy such as Canada. So that would be, uh, that's going to be quite interesting because again, we, we've heard stories about, uh, say, uh, Eastern Europe countries and people coming over here. We've heard about people that, uh, may have come in from, uh, South America, but, uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting conversation to hear, you know, what, what's actually happening in terms of, uh, socialism around the world. And hopefully it doesn't come here if we have anything to say with that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so having said that, thank you again, Rob, and uh, best of luck, and and uh, may not see you before Christmas, words? so Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you guys. Yeah, do you want the last statement there, Chris? Do I ever not? <laughs> I'll make it very quick. Thank okay. you all for watching. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Carrie, for uh, for being being uh, so forthright in your questions and answers tonight. We, we appreciate it, and when I say we, I mean me and all of the viewers and Albertans. Uh, folks, if you like these webinars and you find them informative, please consider joining the Alberta Prosperity Project in our mission to uh, build and uh, work towards a sovereign Alberta, whether within or without confederation. I, I'm certainly not gonna mince words about that, but I yeah. will say uh, as the uh, CEO of a nonpartisan educational society, I am more than happy to support individuals, politicians, parties, whatever, who are moving this province towards sovereignty and, uh, um, and, and a more prosperous future. On the other hand, mm -hmm. if we find that the government or people or politicians are not doing that and they're not listening to the people of Alberta, I am more than happy to work my ass off uh, with other groups to remove them or make them change their ways. Mm -hmm. That's what being nonpartisan is about. So for now, uh, I absolutely 100% support uh, what what Rob and the provincial board want to do for this province. I think they really genuinely want to make things better. And uh, you know what? I will support policy that the government brings forward that benefits the people of Alberta. And I would, you know, I hope that you folks will as well. So again, if you like what you see, you want us to continue doing it, please become a member, consider donating, consider sponsoring one of the webinars. Uh, that is the only way we can keep doing those things. And with the membership, it's not that we want your $20. We actually need it to keep the lights on with this project, to get around the province and do these things. Uh, we are not funded by the government. We're not funded by anybody except for members and the odd benefactor or business person who believes in uh, Alberta prosperity. Uh, so we need your help to, to bring this message to the people of Alberta. And as we're seeing, it is vitally, critically important that we bring this message and we bring this education to Alberta because the other side is in full swing yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, with propaganda that is not in the best interest of the people of this province. So we have a duty to push back against that, and we're going to be the tip of the spear to do that. So please help us do it. And that's all there of my words. All used up. <laughs> Thanks, Chris.
Thanks, Rob, and uh, everyone out there in uh, podcast land. You guys have a great night, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday, if not sooner. Cheers.